Well, good evening and welcome to another episode of Home Theater United. I'm Sam Poston, and tonight I am joined by a superstar guest, Mr. George Feltenstein from the Warner Archive Collection. George, you want to say hey? Hey there. Well, <laughs> welcome. Glad to be here with you, Sam. Welcome, welcome. We have, uh, this has been in the works for, oh boy, many months now. And uh, that is all thanks to Ron Epstein, one of the co-owners of Home Theater Forum. And Ron and you have been good friends for a long time, and you've been an amazing friend to Home Theater Forum and now Home Theater United. And so we can't thank you enough for that. And uh, I definitely really, really appreciated uh, getting to travel out there to Warner back in the day. And I, I know that's not in any near future, but... Uh, if if I had one genie wish, it would be to to do another home theater forum meet out there because you guys were so welcoming and accepting and so awesome to the forum. So thank you for that. I would love to see that happen, and it's it's actually been I think twenty four years. Wow! Since the first time we did a home theater forum chat. Okay. And I was not only participatory, but I was also doing the typing mm. um, <laughs> because it wasn't that easy to respond quickly to questions. Sure. And, uh, Boy, the internet I has changed there. since then. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so that's awesome. So, uh, I I don't think I've been on vacation in six years, so I, I've, I've really got it bottled up. But uh, someday we'll get back out there. It's despicable how long it's been since I've been on a video. Mm. So I won't even bore the people who are listening by talking about <laughs> that. Let's just say that uh, I love my work and uh, workaholism precludes vacation. Oh. And, but I'm a happy workaholic. Well, so you you, you have been the face of the Warner Archive, I guess, since its inception. Can you tell? And you're also listed as the historian for Warner and for the Warner Archive. Can you tell us a little bit about your day-to-day -day job? Well, to to just go back, um, my title used to be, I was a senior vice president of theatrical catalog marketing okay. for Warner Home Video. And then um, over the years, the concept of the Warner Archive was actually an idea, and I've talked about this before, uh, Jim Wethridge, who's the president of our division, which is actually called content licensing, okay. uh, because of all the changes and everything mm -hmm. that's been going on around here. Um, Jim came to me with this idea of being able to bring content to market that normally wouldn't have a place in a video store. You remember video stores, I right? do, Sam I do. I mean, they were you know? a big part of my childhood and sorely missed. Uh, I miss them too, and uh, more than you know. Yeah. Uh, I used to love getting up on a Sunday morning and going to Tower Video and Virgin Video, and you know, just prowling through the aisles. And, <laughs> you know, it's, sure. It's it's not the same on the internet. Yeah, so, we we used to do uh, those together as the Home Theater Forum. We would get together and go up to New York City from all corners. You know, folks on the East Coast would just travel up to New York City and go to. The, uh, the big Virgin Megastore and stuff like that up there. Uh, I can appreciate that being an ex-New Yorker. Yeah. There's no place better to shop in the world yep. than uh, Manhattan. But um, anyway, uh, to make a very, very long story <laughs> short, uh, we got this idea for manufacturing on demand yeah. uh, DVDs, and we announced it uh, 
on March 23rd, 2009, at the last time there was a home theater forum chat. I see. Okay. And the business took off beyond our wildest expectations. Mm -hmm. And it kind of coincided with the demise or diminishment of retail catalog availability. Right. You know what I mean? Sure. So as a result, that kind of became my full-time job. And I actually uh, had a lateral move into uh, Warner Brothers Digital Distribution, which was separate from Warner Home Video. Mm -hmm. And then they put it all back together in 2013. I see. And um, so now I'm in a very unique position because I have a role that really allows me to take care of our library across the entire organization. Now I was kind of doing that off the record. Gotcha. Um, you know, anybody who needed my help involving library-related material or questions, I would always be happy to help. I didn't care what division they worked for, um, you know, or what would it do for my bonus. There's a lot of people that only care about themselves and they're not company people mm -hmm. um, in any organization. I'm not talking about Warner Brothers. Sure. But I'm the type of person that's, you know, uh, very collegial. And I, I always think of, I like to think of our company ideally as a workers cooperative, that we're all equals and we're all on a mission to do the best thing we can to maximize profits for our shareholders and make our library available to as many people as possible. So to do so and make a profit, that is the goal. And to make consumers happy, and I am one of the consumers myself, mm -hmm. that is my personal goal, to make the very best products and releases and to do so in a profitable manner. And that's what we've been trying to do and hopefully will continue to do for a long time to come. Well, that's all. That's awesome, and we're definitely going to dig into the the future and history of the MOD and how that differs from streaming and stuff like that. But before we do that, we got to talk about the big elephant in the room. But before we do that, uh, can you just tell us how big the library is? What, what what are we talking about as far as what you have access to? Well, basically, I would say a rounded number about eight thousand feature films. Mm -hmm. And we estimate about 35,000 hours wow. of television programming. Wow. And um, probably over 10,000 short subjects, both animated mm. and live action. Wow. It's, it's, it's enormous. It's, it's the industry's largest. And I think, you know, I, I may be a little prejudiced, but uh, I think it's by, fest, by far the best library in the industry. Well, it, it certainly as well as the largest. It's certainly a treasure trove and, and going through even at, you know, a half dozen dozen, you know, titles every month or two. You you would be at that rock for a while chipping away at it for sure. Yes. So, let's talk about that elephant, which is that you guys have changed over from being um a I guess it was like a wholly owned subsidiary of Warner Archive and Warner Brothers and now you're part of this Warner Brothers Discovery conglomeration. Can you tell us a little bit about that? 
Uh, well, absolutely. There was there was something really awful in the middle between Time Warner and Warner Brothers Discovery, and that was AT T. Mm. Um, the Evil AT&T, Empire. AT uh, <laughs> bought Time Warner, mm-hmm. and um, they uh, they realized after a couple of years that they made a mistake because yep. they didn't know anything about our business. And uh, we have a new owner as of April, uh, Discovery, and Warner Brothers Discovery uh, was born uh, in April uh, of this past year. And um, our new uh, CEO, David Zaslav, uh, really impressed me uh, before the merger you know, started. And he had his first day. It was about a year in between the announcement and his first day. But um, he is sitting in Jack Warner's old office Mm -hmm. with Jack Warner's old desk. He requested (laughs) that they bring Jack Warner's desk out of the corporate archive. And that is uh, where he's sitting. I believe he's here today because he's New York and Burbank, you know, he goes mm-hmm. between both places. But um, I'm very hopeful uh, because he seems to have a lot of respect for the legacy of the company and the library. And I also think that uh, whereas when AT&T owned us, uh, there were a lot of uh, enormous amounts of layoffs, amazing people uh had their jobs eliminated. Uh. And uh, one of the problems from that is that you've got a skeletal staff in many departments at the studio really doing the work of two or three people. And um, I think morale will improve dramatically uh, once these new folks get a chance to get through all the changes. We're in the middle of all the changes right now. Mm -hmm. And uh, I'm I'm being very, very optimistic. And I spent the first uh, few years of my home video career at MGM UA Home Video um, and then came to Warner Brothers. And uh, I was the head of MGM UA Home Video when I was 30, which was kind of a heady experience. (laughs) And um, Warner Brothers was our distributor. And when I worked at MGM, uh, we had a new owner or a new CEO like every year, it seems. Mm -hmm. Uh, So corporate instability is something I'm very used to. Unfortunately, one of the reasons I wanted to come to Warner was it was the most respected, most stable company in the industry. The last few years have been very difficult, but... I'm hoping we're on the other side of all the pain. And um, on that note, I'd love to be able to share. Uh, first, I want to apologize to all our faithful customers because about a year ago, I was on another podcast and I said that 2022 was going to be our greatest year yet. And I had planned out the whole year. So indeed, that would be the case. And um that didn't happen because I had the carpet kind of pulled out from under me sure. because of the constrictions mm-hmm. with the upcoming merger and the layoffs. And we we did not have enough 
people uh, to actually bring more product to market. So the good news is that uh, happy days are on the horizon. <laughs> and I would say we'll push it to 2023 being that bang up year. Yeah. And uh, we've got some a couple of nice things coming for the balance of the year. But uh, just to give you another example, I had spoken on uh, a podcast a couple of months ago uh, that Jerry Beck, the animation historian and one of my best friends, um, we had come up with a new animation uh, concept. And it took me four or five months to finally get it blessed by all the people who had to bless it. Mm -hmm. uh, and by that time, we needed to bring nitrate film <laughs> in from the East Coast to the West Coast. And you can't move nitrate film during the hot summer months. Sure, yeah. So as a result, this project, which I, which I hope would be ready for the fourth quarter, won't happen until mm. next year. But it will happen. That's and it awesome. it will make animation collectors really happy. Awesome. So um, that's, that's kind of where we are. But to explain my, my position as I'm the basically Warner Media, soon to be put back to Warner Brothers uh, library historian. And I basically oversee uh, making sure that everything involving the library is done properly and correctly. And I coordinate with the people at TCM and at HBO Max. And of course, Warner Archive is kind of my, my baby and mm -hmm. I look after it. And the, the child has been uh, kind of uh, on a very restricted diet lately. <laughs> and that's going to change really soon for the better. That's great. So good news is on the horizon. So so given all of that, it, it is... Is the strategy set in stone at this point? Can you say is like Warner streaming first or is there some way that you can put hierarchically streaming versus uh, digital purchase versus... Well, here's the great thing. Physical. Um, yeah. about this. Well, I, I guess it's a different a per, difference of perspective, right? Some people see that library as a resource to be you know, strip mind versus something that's got to be curated. And, and you certainly are a curator and somebody who tries to do things thoughtfully and not just, you know, strip out the crown jewels and sell them for, you know, pennies on the dollar kind of thing. So, and I think that's what well, Home Theater Forum has responded to all these years too. Well, absolutely. And um, this has always been kind of a pain point for me is, at most of the other studios when it comes to library and not your top crown jewels, you know, but mm -hmm. just underneath the top, let's say 25, they make, you know, some, some, you know, CPA uh, who has no knowledge of film and no knowledge of what these motion pictures are. This is not a commodities business. Right. This is not pork bellies. These are motion, these are works of art, or not works of art, mm -hmm. but they're entertainment to somebody. Sure. And they need to be gotten to the people that want to have them, and in my opinion, hopefully own them. Right. Um, yeah. Okay. You know, when I was a kid, I would have loved to own a movie, and it was not possible. And then videotape came along, 
and you could buy video cassettes and eventually they became affordable. And where I really went whole hog is with Laserdisc. And I was very active in terms of producing them and distributing them, but they were never, never really a, a business that got beyond niche because they were so expensive to make. Yeah. And the penetration in households was very small. Uh, but we did wonderful things. Uh, and I say we, the industry, not, mm. not what, what I was working on, but the whole industry in general was doing a lot of really great things. And uh, people didn't mind paying $125 <laughs> for a, for single a special title. <laughs> edition of a movie. And now people complain about spending $20 on yeah. a Blu-ray. Yeah. So it's, you know, it's a generational kind of thing. But uh, now, uh, in terms of your streaming first question, yeah. the prior CEO who was brought here by AT&T, he uh, basically uh, eliminated a lot of norms. Mm -hmm. uh, one of the things he did that didn't go over too well with the... Uh, artistic and creative community was he had movies going because of the pandemic. He had movies uh, day and date in what theaters were open and on HBO Max. Right. And in doing so, he eliminated the home video window. Yeah. Uh, and as of the movie Elvis, the home video window was back. Nice. Okay. Meaning Elvis played in the theater made money, successful. Yep. A lot of people liked what Baz Luhrmann did with that movie. Yeah. And for several weeks before it went to HBO Max, the only way you could see it was to either buy it digitally or download it digitally. I see. Okay. And the physical availability was synchronous with when it was on HBO Max. I see. So that was a much better um, compromise than home video being cut out. Mm -hmm. But and it's still a very viable business. And the way I look at it, there's a place for everything. You just need to think smart and really know what you're doing. And we have people here that are very smart that know what they're doing. And um, the new owners have embraced home entertainment rather than looking at it as a dinosaur. You know, it's still makes a lot of money yeah it is not the you know there's a time in the early aughts where studios were making more money from home entertainment than from theatrical right those yeah. days are long gone but nonetheless yeah it's still a very very viable business yes yeah, so that's why i'm here great that that's great from my own perspective i i've explained it to people that i'm i'm an and not an or I, I do streaming and purchases and, you know, uh, discs where they make sense. And I, I think a lot of people are going to be very excited that Warner's going to continue to support all of those. But as part well, of that, we, we oh, go, go ahead. You and I are exactly the same. I have almost a thousand movies in my digital locker, mm -hmm. but I have about eight or nine thousand movies between various formats uh, on my shelves. Sure. You know, and if I'm going to want to watch anything, if I'm not too lazy to get up, up, up <laughs> off the couch, you know, yep. I'm not going to watch something that's streaming if I've got a 4K disc or yep. a Blu-ray disc, yep. you know, on the shelf inside. 
because I know the difference. I can tell the difference, uh, you know, hands down. And being able to hold the disc in your hand, you're not going to have to worry about your internet going out. Mm-hmm. You're not going to have to worry about too many people using the internet. Yep. You know, now I think there will come a time in the future where streaming will reach the quality yep. of what you can get on a physical disc. Yep. But then again, I've had the misfortune, and maybe you have too, of buying something digitally and suddenly it's not in my locker anymore. Yeah. What or, happened or, to it? Or they changed I, the music behind it or something crazy like that. We've right. Seen, yeah. You know, um, I had bought something from a platform where I'm guessing they had a limited amount of time to sell it. Mm. Um, And, you know, their rights expired or whatever. At Warner Brothers, we don't do that. If we sell something digitally, we lost the rights to two two, uh, independent production companies' libraries. And... One went to another studio and the other went to another studio. Mm-hmm. But if you bought the digital copy from us, you didn't have to take it out of your, you know, it wasn't removed right. from your yeah. library. And that's the way it should be. So you had mentioned the uh, Movies on Demand uh, program. Is, is that gone and has streaming killed that or is it other oh, no. factors? No, 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 no. Um, we, with, with Warner Archive, you know, we were manufacturing on demand with DVDRs, mm-hmm. and the DVDR got a bum rap from the very beginning. It was looked upon as a second-class citizen, and people thought it was like DVDRs that you make in your house. Right. And it was a very, very cumbersome, uh, sophisticated process. It was expensive, but it also meant that we didn't have inventory. We started sure. with 150 titles. That day that I did the last uh, forum chat on HDF, and uh, we're now at over 4,000 with about 450 being Blu-rays, and our Blu-rays are not BDRs. I would never have allowed that. They've been replicated at the replicator that makes our retail disc from day one, and that has been a source of confusion. What we do is we replicate modest quantities and watch the orders and manage it very carefully so we can fill the need but not be a business where you're filling up warehouses in Memphis filled with Mm. discs that nobody knows what to do with. So it's a very efficient business. And again, uh, we went through a little bit of a, or we're, 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 we're nearing the end of a little bit of a dark time. Mm-hmm. And uh, the bright lights have been confirmed as being turn onable, and uh, great things are lying ahead. So we just had a little bit of a, of a delay, and uh, we will be back on track. And the kind of things uh, that we sell are not usually there's some crossover but they're not usually the kind of things that you find out a streaming service which brings up a point that about 10 years ago we started warner archive instant we started our own Ah, streaming service gotcha 
And, and we thought there'd be a great business for that. Everybody was working together, basically doing double duty. And we were making lots of cool TV and film stuff available that weren't a title. Right. That was cool titles. They were interesting titles. Yeah, yeah. And if we had just gotten a little more support corporately, I think um, we, we were the first studio-based streaming service. So uh, we were, it was taken away from us, I would say, probably two years later. But, um, so it never really got a chance. But um, I'm very proud that we did that. And uh, it was actually one of my colleagues who came up with the idea. And we found that, Having these films available for streaming uh, actually helped uh, physical sales because mm. if people were watching something on streaming and say, I want to own that. Right, yeah. And yeah. they'd end up buying it. Mm -hmm. So there, one thing doesn't have to be sacrificed to the other. That's now, awesome. Now, one of the things that has happened is as we've been going through these years leading up to the darkness of having layoffs and staff cuts, um, we had to trim what we were doing to be the most profitable things. And Blu-ray was and is our primary focus for the moment. And we kind of had to taper down on the DVDRs sure. and the very, very, very obscure movies we were releasing on DVDRs because the same amount of manpower was needed uh, to get those releases out that weren't going to bring that much money in. Mm -hmm. So we had to focus on our Blu-ray business. And uh, I do think there will be a time where we'll probably be able to open up the DVD valve a little bit, depending on if we're able to uh, staff up. Because right now, uh, staffing at this company is kind of like um, uh, a turkey carcass after a carnivorous <laughs> dinner. We're just, I mean, yep. down to the bone. Yep. And it's a tribute to all of my colleagues who work so hard, their dedication, because there's something very special about working at Warner Brothers. And uh, I feel very fortunate to come here every day. And I know a lot of people feel the same way. That's awesome. That's awesome. I, I, I had forgotten that you did have the Blu-rays on demand too. So, so that's cool. I, there, there, it wasn't really my wheelhouse with the, the, the interest that I've got going on, but I know we have a lot of huge fans of, of both the DVDs and Blu-rays at Home Theater Forum. So I'm, I'm glad to hear that that's going to continue. Well, so, and, and the big difference is the discs are manufactured uh, not on demand. They're manufactured in limited quantities mm -hmm. and then assembled on demand. As the orders come in, uh, the packaging is printed and the and the you know the inlay is put into the uh, to the Amray case mm -hmm. or the Elite case, I should say, for the case for Blu-ray. And um, so that's how that works. And uh, it took a couple of years, but other studios are now starting to do some of the same thing. And uh, I think that's good for everybody. That's awesome. Like I said, I, I, I do know that there are uh, quite a few folks at, at Home Theater Forum that, that take advantage of that a lot. So that'll make them very happy. So 
I, I know that this is a huge period of transition and change. Do you have a, a, a good idea what your near future looks like? Uh, yeah. I mean, basically, we're going to be able to turn the lights back on mm -hmm. in having a more normalized cadence of hopefully four to six Blu-rays a month as opposed to one or two. Um, and that makes me incredibly happy. And in the meantime, uh, we have been during this dark period, we've been remastering dozens and dozens of films. Almost all of them are 4K scans from either original negative or the best surviving elements. And there are going to be a lot of surprises and a lot of things people have been really wanting, which I think is going to make uh, for a lot of happiness among collectors. Exclusive. Well, you hear, <laughs> you heard it here first, folks. Uh, that's that's the that's the big news. So we're we're very much looking forward to that. As part of that, Adam Lenhart, uh, one of our um, members, asked if the sale is having effects on preservation. How is the rule of film preservation changed and um are, is that coming out of the dark ages too or is that a little bit further behind i'm happy to say that that has never uh been hindered uh and it actually has its antecedents in the preservation program that began at mgm mm -hmm. 60 years ago when they started converting nitrate to safety yep and uh I happen to have had the pleasure of working for the gentleman, Roger Mayer, that was responsible primarily for that. Because at that time, only two studios were preserving their films properly from nitrate to safety, MGM and Disney. Nobody else was doing it. Later, everybody did it. But the key to that is that in 1981, MGM bought United Artists. Yep. And United Artists was the owner of the pre-49 Warner Brothers library. So when MGM bought UA, they started applying the preservation principles to the pre-49 Warner library. And then in 1986, Turner Broadcasting bought MGM and UA was kept by Kirk Akorian. Mm -hmm. a very complicated transaction. But part of that transaction moved the pre-49 Warner Brothers library. And without making things too more complicated, the RKO library, all under what was then MGM Entertainment. Then Ted couldn't afford to keep the company. So he sold the name MGM back to Kirk Corian. And MGM Entertainment Company became Turner Entertainment all he had was the library. And for 10 years, he oversaw the marketing of the library and the preservation of the library. 10 years later, in 1996, Time Warner bought Turner. Mm -hmm. And that reunited the Warner Brothers Library, both pre-49 and post-49, for the first time in, like, you know, 40 years. And it also brought the pre-86 MGM library uh, and the RKO library all under Warner ownership. And so Roger Mayer uh, went to the management here at Warner Brothers and said, 
you need to continue the preservation program that started at MGM and continued at Turner. And you must continue this at Warner Brothers to take care of these films. And they said yes. That's awesome. And it, that was 26 years ago. And every year there's been a healthy preservation budget. And um, we haven't gotten our budgets for next year yet, but <laughs> we're pretty confident that next year it will continue. And uh, what we've been doing in the last few years, I've jokingly referred to as preservation on steroids because the amount of content that we are preserving um, and restoring is at an all-time high. Oh, that's awesome. And that's, yeah. that's incredible. Uh, we're getting to do things that I just didn't think was possible and would become possible. And it's happening um, as we speak. And just this morning, uh, I saw new completed masters on two uh, amazing films, <laughs> uh, one from the 1940s, one from the 1930s, and they're going to be coming out on Blu-ray. And uh, they'll be coming from uh, Warner Archive, and people will be really happy with them. And, uh, you know, hopefully we'll be able to continue to please people who like different kinds of films. Yeah. Because that's really important to me. It's not about what I like mm -hmm. or what Joe Smith down the street likes. It's about trying to please everyone. And you can't please everyone. Well, um, I... No matter what we do, there's always somebody who's got to, you know, complain or moan about something. Mm -hmm. But by and large, people have been very grateful and uh, supportive. And we're tremendously grateful for the support. Well, just having done this exercise in prepping to talk to you, uh, there are titles I never heard of that are very, very important to the Home Theater Forum membership. And uh, I know we're going to dig into that in just a little bit. But yeah, it, it, it's awesome to see. And, and a lot of the other studios are pretty good at this, but I don't think anybody's nearly as good at, as Warner is in just, you know, going across the catalog and finding you know, new and old and, you know, hidden treasures and stuff like that to bring out. So I'm super excited to hear what you got in the pipeline. Well, I'm excited to share as much as I can. Sure. Um, and, and I have to put a caveat on that. Mm -hmm. um, there were many, we did home theater form chats, I think for 11 years. And there were times where something would be greenlit and we were going to do it. And then we found there was a problem with film element or something like that. And a title I said was going to come out, didn't come out or got really delayed. And people would be gone, the forums, because I read the forums every day, all of them. Yep. Um, I don't think many studio executives do that, but I do, uh, because I want to know what the people are saying. And um, some of the people aren't very nice, but most <laughs> of them are great. Yep. Um, there's always a few rotten apples out there, but... Uh, that's why uh, there's better living through chemistry for those. Folks. Sure, but I mean um, the, the one thing the one thing about movies is that unlike any other business, it's a business, it's an art, it's technology, and you know, and any one of those can be a hang up for you. And I, I think the vast majority of our members understand that you know that there's nothing guaranteed with those things, and 
problems happen, but if somebody's got their heart set on something that they haven't seen since they were a kid, and I know I've got my favorites that aren't coming to Blu-ray anytime soon, it 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 becomes difficult to to separate that you know want versus the reality of the situation. Well, it's a huge. It's a when you do it right, the way I hope we do. Um, because when we do things on Blu-ray, there's no dirt. There's no you know we don't let things go uh, and do a B plus job or an A minus job. It has to be A plus. Now we've also had some mistakes sure. and some errors. Yeah. And I want to address two of them, which never got addressed. And that is um, two years ago, we released a movie called The Opposite Sex. Yep. And I always get a screener of everything. And I noticed that the audio was mono instead of stereo. So I raised hell and got a replacement screener. And uh, the proper stereo track was used. And uh, on top of all this, uh, our people sent out the wrong, they sent out the wrong master anyway. Oh, no. So So they used the old um, one. That's what happened. The discs got manufactured from the wrong master. Mm. Now, this this is something I don't have the answer for yet, but we'll try to communicate it uh, I'll probably work something out with Ron at HDF, but um, all of the inventory in stock with our manufacturer is proper stereo. We've destroyed all the bad discs. So those people who bought the bad disc and want to get a proper disc, we're going to try to arrange an exchange. The oh, same goes for a double feature we came out with just a little less than a year ago of Val Luton's film, Ghost Ship, which was uh, double featured with Bedlam. Uh, Ghost Ship, when they were cleaning it up, they cleaned up a moth that they thought was film damage. And I was not around to catch that error. And that's how the discs went out. That too has been corrected and all the discs are fine. But we need to get a consumer exchange infrastructure set up the person who used to handle it for us who was with us for years who was a wonderful person she was hitting the layoffs so we're trying to basically rebuild after we've been hit by a tsunami mm-hmm. and um, they have brought on i think a, a, a specific company to handle these kinds of exchanges and as soon as i have the information I'm going to send it to Ron to print on Home Theater Forum so that people who bought either Ghost Ship Bedlam or uh, the opposite sex can get their discs exchanged. That's terrific. Um, that's really important to me. Yep. So what you're telling me on this ghost ship thing is that it it really was a bug. <laughs> yeah, yes. it, it was. I mean, it's mentioned in the dialogue and um, it it was something that just in the effort to make everything look beautiful, they didn't realize it wasn't a white scratch. <laughs> it was an actual moth. That's hilarious. Um, but I, I did, you know, try to communicate out there that we would take care of it. When we had the proper infrastructure, we were able to take care of exchanges. And uh, there were one or two titles we had that were 
uh, improperly, uh, you know, manufactured, there's a glitch, and we're able to turn around really quickly. And I think that's very, very important is to honor uh, the consumer who has spent their money on your product to stand sure. behind it. So look forward to something on Home Theater Forum very soon where I will be providing the person or email that people can contact to arrange to get a proper disc. That's awesome. As I tell people, you know, it, go go with your gut that things like this are not malice and they're not being ignored, that it's, it's either a business decision or they're simply not aware of it or don't have the program to handle it yet. So I'm, I'm glad to see that both of those will get their time to be fixed. So that's cool. Um, next question is that it seems like things are constantly merging together. I think Time Warner was, you know, the biggest of all time. And then, you know, everybody started shaking down into two or three big companies. Do, do you expect that that history of this business is is now mostly over? Or do you do you think we'll see more consolidations? I for the sake of people's uh, mental health and uh, happy home life, I hope there isn't any more consolidation. Mm -hmm. I know um, certainly what happened here was uh, horrific in terms of the thousands of people that were laid off because of the AT&T merger. And uh, there have been many people who have been uh, victims of this merger with Discovery because there is some duplication, not in home entertainment, but other areas, uh, they do reality television. Warner Brothers has an unscripted division, ad sales. There are certain areas where there's duplication. So um, I'm hoping that it's over, but I'd be a fool if I said, yeah, it's (laughs) definitely over. Uh, Who knows what can happen? the merger of Disney and Fox um, would never have happened uh, in another political atmosphere, but the yeah. politics were just right yeah. at the time that um, you know Disney was already so huge, and then to swallow up an entire studio, and basically Fox is gone. Yeah, it's People weird. Can, and especially look at what that whole company has done in to their home entertainment business. They've basically thrown it under the bus in favor of uh, their streaming service. So it's all the more important to me to get the word out that that's not what's happening at Warner Brothers. And uh, it almost did. And thankfully, things are going in the right direction. Mm. Well, we'll we'll keep fingers crossed on that because... You know, the the consumers for for those different streaming services that you listed aren't necessarily, you know, the the same consumers. The the person that's watching the reality TV is not the same guy that might get a, you know, a um, uh, a Warner Archive uh, subscription or something like that. So hopefully it all works out that everybody gets what they're hoping for out of it. Absolutely. So one uh, one last thing, uh, actually two last questions. First, uh, how do you feel about the future of actual movie theaters? I know a lot of home theater forum members are nervous that there's been a lot of consolidation there and a lot the you know, the COVID didn't help, uh, but it seems like they're making a little bit of a, a comeback. Do you, do you think that, that there's always going to be a place for movie theaters or is it still shaky? I absolutely am a thousand percent uh, of the belief that 
motion picture act exhibition will prevail and survive and thrive awesome and people thought radio was going to kill theaters people thought television was going to kill theaters um the internet the fact that the <laughs> studios were forced to sell their theaters at the same time television came in was a one-two punch for the industry but the industry overcame that cable television home video streaming there's still nothing like going to the movies and yeah. having a communal experience now the kind of movies that can make a profit in a theatrical release that is becoming more and more difficult. And I think smaller films are going to be more challenged yeah. to have a traditional theatrical exhibition. But the fact that people have really wonderful home theaters where they can enjoy smaller films as well as blockbusters with Atmos, well, that gives people a choice. And there's still going to be a theater someplace that's going to show that small film. It just yep. depends where you live. You know, um, if you live in a big metropolitan area, the likelihood is there'll be a theater that will show that smaller film. Yep. Um, so I'm very bullish on theatrical exhibition. Oh, that's awesome to hear. I, I'm just north of Baltimore. And so my local theater is 15, 20 minutes away from me. And I'm a member of the AMCA list. And I got to echo what you're saying. I'm seeing more small, you know, small budget movies through A-list as much as I am the the big Dolby Atmos stuff there. So I think the subscriptions have, have helped me broaden my horizons. I don't know how that'll shake out business-wise or if you're in favor of those subscription programs or not, but it's worked out great for me. Well, that's awesome. Is the Charles Theater still in Baltimore? It is. It is. In fact, uh, I did a 48-hour film fest a couple of the first years that I was down here, and uh, we we exhibited our uh, the movies that we made in the Charles Theater. So yeah, it's doing. It's still doing well as that's far as I know. That's awesome. Because yeah. my first job out of college, uh, I was recruited out of uh, the film school I went to. Uh, where I was running the film series, and um, uh, a, a film company recruited me to work there as soon as I graduated, and uh, I was doing repertory theatrical sales uh, for them for several years before I got into home video, and uh, the Charles Theater was one of my customers. Nice, nice. <laughs> yeah. Like I said, I've That's I've only I've only ever been there for the forty eight hour film festival, but I know it's a bastion of that community. I know that there's a lot of folks who really have genuine uh, love for, for for that theater in particular. Nice. So uh, we're hit, about to hit an hour in, and we've just gone through the questions I had written up, and I know Home Theater Forum has a bunch more. But the one last question I want to ask you is, of the things that you have been able to get out the door and announced, what what are you most excited for coming up? That we have announced, that, yeah, that well, that, yeah. this is, this is uh, they just lowered the price on Amazon last night, as a matter of fact. Oh. I am doing cartwheels over our upcoming Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde 1931 version. Ooh, okay. With Frederick March. Um, this is from nitrate original negative as well as uh second generation material because the film was censored 
uh, for reissue, and they cut a lot out of it. I think about 17 minutes. Ooh, interesting. And uh, we had a DVD that we released about 20 years ago uh, that was the full version. Um, didn't look very good. This looks amazing, and it's as like everything we do. It's it's meticulously clean, and um, we spend a lot of time on it. But the thing that's super cool about it is uh, not only do we have a legacy commentary, we recorded a new commentary for it oh. to uh, provide a different perspective. And it's in the movie tone aspect ratio, oh, nice. which is actually a little taller than people are used to seeing. Okay. And um, it's 1.19. I don't think and I've ever seen anything in that very long it was used uh probably up until uh, early 1932 and then everything went 137 okay but this is being presented in its proper aspect ratio for the first time terrific so it's a good halloween uh we also have mark of the vampire coming and uh that's another restoration so but uh, jekyll and hyde or i should pronounce it properly jekyll Oh. That's how they pronounce it in the movie, and uh, I should learn to pronounce it properly, Dr. Jekyll. And I, wow, I've, so. I'm sure I've never seen that, so I'll add that to my list. Yeah, I I can't. You'll be astounded. The movie's 91 years old, and <laughs> you can't believe you're looking at a 91-year-old movie. Wow, okay. Well, that's it for my list of questions. Of course, we've got a 1,000 from Home Theater Forum, and I'm going to apologize up front that we're not going to be able to get to all of them. But I will say I am ecstatic that you are going to be able to answer so many of them. And so for those that don't get asked, we apologize. But uh, hopefully next time. Uh, and uh, we thank everybody for sending their thoughts in. The first one is from Jim Burr. And I absolutely echo this a thousand percent. He says, thanks for a great 2021, 20 and 2021 releases, especially the Technicolor stuff. So thank you for that. We, we're excited that despite all the issues you guys have had, you were able to put out so much great stuff during the pandemic. During a pandemic and all working from home for two years. Yeah. That was uh, quite a challenge and uh, very proud of all that. And most importantly, I want to thank Jim um, because people always uh, are very quick to register their angst or you know, make snarky remarks on the internet, but people very rarely say thank you. And it's all the more important and meaningful when they do. So yeah. I really appreciate that. That's awesome. You. you guys have been awesome friends to Home Theater Forum for so long. I guess almost the entirety of its existence. So we hope to continue that for many, many years. So Roland L. and many, many others uh, piped in with, uh, is there anything going on in 3D? What can you tell us you about You know, I never 3D? thought anybody was going to ask me about that. <laughs> I can't I imagine. I really didn't. <laughs> um, we, have, we have several uh, 3D, you know, classic 3D films and two classic 3D cartoons. Mm -hmm. And the three very best 3D films, because most of the 3D films that were made were not very good, but there are a handful that were great. And the three very best ones we released quite some time ago. Um, and they look and sound amazing, and we're very proud of them. Kiss Me, Kate, Dial M for Murder, and, of course, 
probably one of the most famous of all, House of Wax. Mm-hmm. And uh, they were monstrous projects. And they came out great. They've sold great. The rest of the 3D movies are not quite as commercial. One or two of them have a little bit of a uh, little more street cred. And then the others are, um, you know, of modest commercial value. Uh, the amount of people that uh, support 3D is unfortunately diminishing because nobody's making 3D sets anymore. Yeah. And yeah. they haven't for six years now. Yeah. And only people with projectors can really take advantage of 3D. Right. But um, I haven't given up on it yet. And I'm trying to find a way where we can make it work uh, financially and up to our standards because it's it's double the cost of doing a regular movie. Yeah. <laughs> uh, you have to do the left eye sure. and the right eye. Yep. Um, but we're not giving up on that yet. And I especially want to stress that I know people are dying for Bugs Bunny and Lumberjack Rabbit and Popeye Ace of Space. And uh, we have not abandoned our classic animation quest. And uh, there are some problems inherent, I hear, with the uh, with one of the eyes, one of the negatives on Lumberjack Rabbit had some water damage. Oh, no. But as we proved with our release of uh, The Wonderful World of Brothers Grimm earlier this year, which was a huge, phenomenal success for us and took years. And we never thought it could happen because the negative had been water damaged under the MGM lot. Right. And it came out fantastically well. It was entirely due to uh, the persistence of Dave Strohmeyer, who is the king of Cinerama, and uh, his partner, Tom March. They restored the film. Our folks did all the scanning. Uh, We brought in every possible piece of film that we could, 65 millimeter IP, all the original negatives and panels, all the separations everything and it came out to be just a sensational release that we're so proud of so uh water damage doesn't mean that a film can't be done and um we we don't we'll never say never so hopefully this uh this plan i have for 3d may come to fruition so not a promise but a hope well, it, 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 I'm sure it will be encouraging to know to to the members to know that they've got you in their corner. Um, I'm I'm Absolutely. kind of personally ambivalent on 3D. I do actually have a projector capable of doing 3D, and I I've gotten no end of grief from from my apathy over it. But uh, I I know that it's very important to mem- many of our home theater forum members. So we'll we'll keep the fingers crossed for those guys. So I, I forget who asked it. This actually got cut out and put back in today. But somebody was asking about what about the silent film era? Do you have any uh, any anything that you can talk about there? Well, we've been having a little bit of a problem with with silent films because in order to put a silent film out, uh, you need to have a score, and it becomes a very a very difficult proposition. Um, but the good news is, uh, I'm, I'm trying to figure out exactly how many, we probably will have three or four silent features 
uh, coming out on Blu-ray next year. Nice. Um, and uh, I'm incredibly excited about that because they will not only be coming out on Blu-ray, but they will also be meticulously restored. So they're going to look amazing. And there's right. one film, not going to mention any titles, but sure. a very famous movie that I've never seen look good. I've always seen it just filled with dirt and debris and hairs and just looking awful. And now it looks a uh, hundred times better. So uh, silent film fans will be getting their wish. And um, just hold, hold tight and be patient because it might not all come out next year. There may be some things next year and the year after. Well, so we'll the, see what happens. You've alluded to this, but next year is, is pretty important to Warner. It's your 100th anniversary. So do you have big plans on that? And um, Angela Columbus noted that, and uh, Robert Crawdaddy Crawford wondered if you would be celebrating across all of the Warner properties, including Warner, MGM, RKO, and, and so on, or just focusing on the, the Warner archive itself. Well... I've been jumping up and down since about 2018 saying, <laughs> hey, it's going to be our 100th anniversary in 2023. We need to start planning now. Yep, yep, yep. And basically no one was paying attention to me. Or oh, no. Me. But in 2020, they finally kind of said, oh, yeah, we need to do something. Mm -hmm. So there is now activity all across the video. Great. Uh, for the 100th anniversary. I think people will be very excited. A lot of titles are going to be coming out from both the Warner Archive and from Warner Brothers Home Entertainment in 4K nice. that represent various parts of our history, uh, both contemporary and classic. Uh, I'm a purist, and I think that Warner Brothers history is Warner Brothers history, and MGM's history could be celebrated the following year when MGM theoretically turns 100. I see. Except the company that is now MGM is actually United Artists with the MGM name. Sure. We own the first 66 years of MGM. But um, from what I understand, our, um, my colleagues will probably be celebrating everything we own. And it's good to acknowledge the fact that for the last 26 years, this has been the home of Wizard of Oz and Gone with the Wind and 2001 mm -hmm. and Ben-Hur and King Kong and Fred and Ginger and so forth and so on. But the history of Warner Brothers as a studio is so interesting and so um, unique and uh, filled with uh, a diverse group of filmmakers and styles, you know, going back to the silence of the 20s all the way up to the films of now, I think that should be enough to focus on. So, um, you know, from a Warner Archive perspective, we'll be focusing purely on Warner Brothers. But I think but that doesn't mean we won't be releasing right, right, other right, films yeah. from the library. We certainly will be. But I'm not going to be putting a Warner Brothers 100th birthday label on an MGM movie. That's just... yeah. Uh, not what I would choose to do. I'll be, you know. Uh, <laughs> I'm with very, you on that. Very, very purist. Yep. Uh, but most importantly, uh, I don't want any part of the library neglected. So um, 
we have a lot of MGM and RKO films planned as well as Warner films planned. So, um, and no matter what we do, it won't be enough for some people. Sure. But for those who really appreciate all the work that goes into it, yep. I think they'll be very happy. Well, I, I keep telling people we are, we are truly living in the golden, golden age of home theater and have an embarrassment of riches across all the different um, studios and stuff like that. So that I th- I think no matter what you guys do, you're, you're going to have a, a great year. And I look forward to that. And I'll start celebrating today. How about that? Great. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, getting back to restoration, Richard MS wanted to know if there have been any recent unexpected discoveries as far as elements and missing footage, particularly for Matahari, which I guess was announced. I'm not sure. No, Matahari with Greta Garbo and Ramon Navarro was cut for censorship reasons when it was reissued mm-hmm. uh, after the production code. And uh, no, we have not found the cut footage yet. So there's nothing happening with Matahari. Um, what I can say is there are two Warner Brothers movies, which I knew had been released in longer versions to the servicemen and in World War II, before they were theatrically released after the war here in theaters. And at least one of them uh, has a pretty good chance of coming out as a Blu-ray release maybe next year, but probably more likely the following year. But I I won't give away the title. Uh, And then there's another one waiting in the wings that isn't quite as marketable. But this one title is uh, not a short film to begin with, but uh, there's probably another 20 minutes or so uh, that the soldiers got to see that nobody else got to see. And we found 35 millimeter nitrate material. And uh, eventually that's going to come out. I can make it come out next year. I'll be very, very happy. But right now um, I don't have any target date. That's that's but we're always looking for. That is awesome. I, I actually got a couple of private messages from folks who were saying, I swear I saw this in a roadshow 70 millimeter print in different movies. And people say I'm crazy. But but what you're telling me is that really for different regions, there there could have been these different cuts and stuff like that. And so so for those of you that emailed me about those, you're, you're not crazy. And maybe those elements will show up sometime in the future. That's, that's pretty cool. Well, I, I saw... I saw prints of the producers and Funny Girl in repertory theaters mm-hmm. decades after those movies came out that had extra footage in them. Cool. I think they were preview prints. Ah. Um, I was like in shock. I looked at my friend like sitting with me. And I was like, can you believe what we're seeing? You know, it's yeah. totally different. Um, so there's a lot of that kind of stuff kicking around. And we... Uh, I think the thing that's most important is when a film has been released and created by its creator and locked in at that length, and then some studio butcher comes around, uh, there are so many famous examples of that. Um, you know, the mo- most famous is probably the Garland Starsborn, mm-hmm. uh, which to this day, we've never been able to find all the footage. But the films that were made in the early 30s pre-code that were cut for release after the code, those are particularly uh, painful. And to be able to restore that footage 
is a very tall order and uh, it may never happen. Uh, but we keep looking. Yep. And that's the important thing. Well, you, you guys are the best at doing stuff like that. So if anybody's going to be able to pull it off, I'm sure you guys are right up there. So Thank so you. thanks for we thanks tried. for addressing that. Uh, so Battle Beast and a couple other uh, folks asked, uh, any word on uh, best picture winners in the pipeline? And do those get given priority or do you guys kind of, you know, portion them out so that they're not all hitting at once kind of deal? Well, we have more than one in the pipeline and uh, there aren't that many left that aren't released. So um, I think people will be happy when these come out. Um, and uh, so it's nice to be able to give an affirmative answer. Nice. Yes. Do you, I, I, I hate to put you on the spot, but do you know how many Best Picture winners are in your archive? Oh, we have more than any other studio. We have, I think, 22. Okay. Right, that's a that's an accomplishment all in itself. So I mean, yeah. that's great. So I think you've already addressed this, but Raphael Perez asked any chance of getting back to five to seven releases a month, and 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 you're saying four to five is probably more realistic. Uh, it could, you know, some months it might be less or more, but gotcha. we're aiming for about that to get back to where we were. Like 2021 was where I had planned 2022 to be. Gotcha. Okay. So hopefully 2023 will be that right. way. So stand but, by, stand by, guys. Yeah. It, it it it's getting better, but it's it it's a it's a <clears> process. <throat> so I know uh, your Halloween uh, stuff has already all been announced, right? But SWS SWFF asks, uh, how about some more horror and sci-fi flicks, and maybe even some of the ham- more of the Hammer films? Uh, this is one of the most popular genres. Um, and one of the most supported and one of the most cross-generational. And uh, we have have very few more films for this year before next year we turn on the gas and to overdrive. Uh, But we've got uh, another yet-to-be-announced classic sci-fi horror movie coming before the end of the year. Awesome. And uh, it is my hope, I can't promise this, but it is my hope to do for our other Hammer Horror films, especially the early ones, what we did with Curse of Frankenstein uh, not that long ago with the two-disc special edition with new special features and three aspect ratios so that no one could complain about the aspect ratios. Okay. And... um, that release was such a work of uh, uh, of great. Um, everybody was caught up in it. It was mm-hmm. a labor of love for so many people. And I got to do a shout out to Constantine Nazar, who did all the special features and who's just one of the most wonderful human beings on the planet. Nicest guy and so talented. And we've been working together in one fashion or another for I'd say close to 20 years now. Awesome. Because uh, he worked uh, on the very first Looney Tunes collection we did in 2003, which took six years to get. <laughs> so it's always a battle. Yep. So J.C. Reisenbach and others want to uh, keep bringing up Summer Place. And I'll note that I think that this was the first movie my parents went to on a date back in the uh, back in their, their uh, salad days. So... 
Uh, I, I, on that? I would love to see that movie come out, and it, it deserves to, and I think it would do well. It's not happening at the moment, mm-hmm. but the fact that there isn't a high-definition master in the company is obscene, I see. and uh, the film needs to come out, and eventually it will. It w- won't be next year, but maybe the year after. Okay. Well, keep asking, guys, because they, they know that you're interested. Uh, I was actually surprised that you said you would talk about this one because I've seen some drama on it uh, today on Twitter where some of the original writers were asking their uh, their followers to kind of ping uh, Warner about it. But what can you tell us about Babylon 5? Okay, this is something that uh, I know there is a vast, passionate audience. Yeah, for. rabid. And it... It should have happened a long time ago, but the cost to do it was enormous. And the fact that all the special effects were done low res, Mm -hmm. standard def, and all that, well, all of that's been rectified. And we could thank the folks at HBO Max for paying for that work. But I told my colleagues, uh, you know, especially those who are specifically responsible for television content, I said, we have got to do something with Bab 5. Mm-hmm. Uh, the audience out there doesn't care that it's available for streaming. They want to own it. And uh, I personally uh, am more of a Trekkie and a Doctor Who fan, mm-hmm. like fanatic. Doctor Who up through Matt Smith, and that's where it ends okay. for me. But... Um, but Star Trek, like, in uh, all forms, basically. Nice. Although I'm not crazy about some of the new stuff, but uh, very much looking forward to season three of Picard. Nice. Um, that being said, um, what I like means nothing. It's all about what the fans want. And sure. If there's enough support. This is so obvious to me. And we just have to find the right way to do it. Is it season sets? Is it a complete series? It's still a very expensive proposition in terms of the costs of packaging, compression, and authoring. Do you Mm -hmm. want to do extras? All that. None of those questions have been answered. But this has been, once the remastering had begun, this was something where we all agreed, this needs to be done. What's the best way to do it? The fact that the company has been through such, for lack of a better word, hell Mm -hmm. uh, for the last couple of years kind of took the eye off the focus on this. But I think the focus will be back on this and it will happen if I have anything to say about it. All right. Um, So so I I know we don't need to encourage the rabid fans to to keep cheering it on. But uh, oh, my God, for all the years that we couldn't (laughs) do it. Yep. We're still getting the letters and the calls and mm-hmm. tweets and the posts on Facebook and, you know, yeah. so. So it wasn't that it, you were it, ignoring it. It was just, you know, the economics of it and the, the rights right. and all of that right. stuff. So, yeah. And now it can be, now it can happen. Awesome. Awesome. So stand happen. by for that. So a lot of folks are interested. I know you brought up Bugs Bunny and a couple of Popeye and a couple other things, but a lot of folks are interested in more classic animation uh, 80s Forever notes the hints were for a lot of animation in 2022, and you said that that kind of got delayed. Um, so 
good good thoughts for 2023 on the animation front? Yes, what I planned for 2020, uh will start gearing up again in 2023. And the first uh, project, which I had hoped to have out for fourth quarter this year, we uh, we haven't even gotten negative material in because it's nitrate that has to come from mm-hmm. across the country. So um, there's going to be more animation and of, and of all kinds, not just theatrical animation, but more Hanna-Barbera and television animation. And some of it may be on DVD, but uh, the focus is on blue, especially for the theatrical. Cool. Every time I, I think of you guys shipping nitrate across the uh, country, all I can think of is Snowpiercer. And you've got this <laughs> this train just barreling across the country to make this very, very important delivery. So, Well, the thing is, that, you know, we, we all kind of feel that we wish we didn't have to ship it anywhere. Yeah. Um, because if something happens, yeah. um, it could be disastrous. Mm-hmm. Um, so not just to know, the elements, I, but I mean, it could cause fires and other stuff too. That right. Yeah, exactly. It's, it's, you know, we are, we're only allowed to keep 90 minutes worth of footage on the lot at any given time. Wow. I didn't know that. Um, yeah. So if we're doing a Technicolor film, that was shot nitrate, that means it's three rolls of nitrate film for every roll of film, yellow, cyan, and magenta. So mm-hmm. it takes a very, very long time yeah. to get these things done. And that's why all of our recent Technicolor releases, I think the last one was probably private. Uh, no, no, no. Uh, the Adventures of Don Juan which came out in July. Mm-hmm. Um, but there are so many more uh, in the queue. And it's, uh, it's, it's particularly exciting because we're now able to work directly off the original if the original still exists. And if the original, there was a terrible fire in 1978 at George Eastman House where a lot of MGM original nitrate was blown up in a fire yeah and um uh separation positive safety copies were made before the footage was sent so if there are many movies where we have like the first four reels exist in technicolor nitrate negative but the second four reels we only have separations Mm. well when we were working off interpositives that meant that you, the first half of the movie would be second generation, and the second half of the movie would be fourth generation. Mm. And it didn't look really good. And when a lot of these interpositives were made in the 90s, a lot of them were made by really good labs and looked terrific. And equally, there were some made by bad labs, uh, and they looked awful. They were out of focus. Um, and we have corrected that. Uh, oh, okay. Dodge City and... Uh, Private Lives of Elizabeth and Essex are just examples of those that were horrible looking because they were completely out of registration and out of focus. And now the Blu-rays look proper. Terrific. So also on the cartoon section, is there any plans for a like collaboration with Cartoon Network or anything like that? Well, now that we're not siloed, uh, 
the Cartoon Network is all under our aegis. Okay. Uh, you know, it used to be uh, the head of Cartoon Network's home video arm. They distributed through us, but we didn't do any of the programming or marketing. Well, she is now one of our executives. Okay. Within Warner Brothers Home Entertainment. And I just talked to her uh, a couple of days ago. I guess it was, uh, what? Well, yeah, uh, it was last week, actually. I'm losing all track mm-hmm. of times. Like, today sure. is Monday, you know. Um, we were just talking about uh, specifically all these really great Cartoon Network shows that were started and never completed. And the collectors are itching to have full seasons, full yeah. series, I should yeah, say, yeah. of a lot of those shows. So I made that very clear, and she was very supportive. Great. Okay, cool. So also talking about collabs, have you guys done any farm out work to places like Criterion, or would you ever consider that? One, uh, one uh, member, Deep Scan. We have been in partnership with Criterion for I think eleven years okay. now. It started with just one film, mm-hmm. Badlands, and then it became another thirty, and then we added more. Okay, and we added more. We we think of the folks at Criterion as family. I see. They are partners. Uh, we have a multifaceted relationship with them because. The Criterion Channel licenses films for their SBOT service to from Warner Brothers Television Distribution. Uh, HBO Max licenses Criterion-owned content to oh. show on HBO Max. And we've been sub-licensing particular movies, whether it's a filmmaker request or whether it's Criterion's request or it fits better with Criterion. Um, it was my idea when Criterion wanted to go into 4K, I felt it was poetic justice that they released Citizen Kane because that was their very first release on Laserdisc. Okay. And of course, they loved they loved the idea, and I made sure. it happen. Nice. And I felt that it was the right place for it because they would be able to do all the supplements that we wouldn't necessarily have the budget or the right. manpower to do. Okay. And it's a wonderful, wonderful relationship. I, I guess I hadn't put titles in my head because I wasn't aware of that deep relationship. So that's good. I'm, hopefully we'll see more of that. So there's a lot more surprises to come. Okay. And uh, a lot of contemporary ones as well as classic. Okay. Well, um, Deep Scan had his own specific titles that he was hoping for we'll we'll skip over those for now uh i I do want to go back to the silent films it was arthur powell i wonder where he got that name uh who came up with uh, a a list of silent films but one that uh, popped up a couple times was captain blood can we talk about that one at all well i don't think anything's going to happen with the silent version of captain blood but there is something happening with the remake with Errol Flynn, mm-hmm. and I can't say anything more than that. Gotcha. Okay. But uh, there are more silent films, including the most requested ones, and you know, all know mm-hmm. who you are out there. Sure. Um, have patience. Good things are around the corner. Gotcha. And it was Mark P. who asked us about the opposite sex uh, replacement uh, that you've already talked about, so stand by right. for that, Mark P. 
Uh, Zochi Pill wants to know anything for fans of 70 millimeter, and Ryan's daughter is one of the ones that keeps coming up on on that. Nothing. Front. Yes, I know it. You have to remember, I read it the forums <laughs> every day, if not several times a sure. day. It's kind of an addiction. It's been going on for a long time. Probably not good for my mental health, but mm-hmm. um, no. The best way to know what the people want is to read what people have to say and be able to separate the intelligent comments from the ridiculous comments. Gotcha. And um, I know people want these movies, especially Ryan's daughter. It's an enormous cost, but here's the good, the good but. Um, Warner Brothers Motion Picture Imaging now has a 65 millimeter head for its top of the line scanner. Oh, cool. So that means that we... We used to uh, we used to not have the capability to do scanning of 65 millimeter negative in house. Now we do. That's so um, I think a lot of good is going to come from that, but n- n- nothing is announceable at this time. Okay, no, we'll stand by. Keith Cobby had noted somebody had hinted about three little words in the past. Any update there? Well, I had talked about the fact that the negative, technicolor negative of Three Little Words was here for scanning and uh, being put through our patented recombination process that we used to call ultra-resolution. We don't have uh, a date yet. No master has been made yet. The material's been scanned, so eventually it's going to come out and make a lot of people very happy. Fun movie. Awesome. Awesome. Um, and the last of the general questions was uh, any um, specific plans for re-releasing things that have already been on DVD onto higher resolution like Blu-ray and 4K? Absolutely. Um, we have been doing that, uh, you know, as far back as Goodfellas. Mm-hmm. Um, in my opinion, we haven't been doing enough of it. Um but it's so expensive. It's so expensive. It's four times the cost of doing something for Blu-ray because you have to do four times the amount of dirt cleanup. Sure, yeah. And uh, you really have to be careful what you're doing. And we've been careful, so is everybody else. But when I saw, for example... Uh, I know the question specifically is about North by Northwest. Yes. Yeah. Obviously, wide format film, whether it's Technorama or Vistavision or 65 millimeter, they benefit on 4K like yeah. nothing else. Sure. Does. Yeah. So I want to see all of those happen, especially the ones that are good and that will make money. Um, Universal was very successful with their first. Hitchcock collection on 4K enough that they did a second Hitchcock collection. So it's not my, all I can do is make recommendations and my other colleagues make final decisions based on doing the financials and comparative sales analysis to other things because we're a business and we have to make money. Um, That being said, Look at the films that are coming out now, uh, like, you know, Poltergeist and mm-hmm. The Lost Boys and 
all the Christmas movies that are coming. And there are some 4K classic Warner Brothers films um, that will be coming next year tied in with the 100th. Um, so that's all really exciting. North, North by Northwest is not on the schedule for next year, but I have a feeling it might be very likely for 2024. I'll be pushing for it like crazy. It also, I don't like my personal favoritism to get in the way of anything, mm -hmm. but that's one of my favorite <laughs> movies. And also, <laughs> you pull rank. <laughs> it is one of our most profitable movies. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, it's not sure. like I'm talking about some obscure melodrama <laughs> or a monogram cowboy movie. This is right. North by Northwest, right. arguably yep. Hitchcock's greatest sure. movie. Yep. I can't decide if it's North by Northwest or Psycho mm. or Vertigo. They're all like, which of your children do you love more? Yeah. But this yeah. is our only, uh, you know, we have we have six Hitchcock movies, but of the six, this is my absolute favorite. Gotcha. And um, it's just dying for it and crying out for it. Gotcha. And um, so let's keep fingers and toes crossed. Okay. So the last of our general questions, I don't even know what it means. And I Googled it and didn't know what it meant, but you said you'd address it. Mark Brown asked, what is Warner's position on using Perspecta? on MGM titles. What what does that mean? What's he asking for? Well, Perspective Sound was a process that was devised basically to try to emulate a stereo effect. It would use tones, inaudible tones, to move monophonic optical audio around theaters. Oh, that's neat. That were too cheap to install <laughs> magnetic stereophonic sure. equipment. Okay. And... It was a different company that came up with this, this idea. Um, so many films that had perspective tracks uh, were also recorded in four-track stereo. Mm -hmm. Well, that's much more preferential. It yeah. sounds a hell of a lot better. Yeah. Um, but um, we do have a perspective uh, optical head and uh, Warner Brothers post-production sound has been doing some testing on it. And uh, it's possible that we might use it at some point if we find a monophonic film that has a perspective track, pers excuse me, a perspective track. Okay. But um, at this point, uh, it's something we're open to and have been doing tests. Gotcha. Well, that's all the general questions. I know you've got a, uh, a hard stop here. Can we get another 10, 15 minutes out of you, or you got to go now? Oh, yeah. Okay, so we're, we're going to try to buzz through some of these last specific titles that everybody's uh, uh, asking about. And I'm going I'm to kind of prioritize them a little bit, and in particular, I'm going to jump right to Mark Mays. Wanted to know about Gone with the Wind possibility of showing up in 4K. We know that Gone with the Wind has had some political challenges recently and has that factored into it i think that was a factor two plus years ago when they pulled it off hbo max because somebody wrote uh an incendiary article in the paper and mm -hmm. hbo max pulled it off their service and put it back on their service with contextualized um supplementary material Gotcha. I happen to think very highly of the movie, to put it mildly. Yeah. <laughs> and I think it's a very important film. Yeah. 
and uh, beloved in the history too. of cinema. Yeah. And I, it's also the cost of doing, it's not just the cost of doing two movies, it's the cost of doing six movies because you've got your Technicolor negative, which each reel is three separate colors. So it's a gargantuan expense, but I absolutely think it would make money and be profitable for the company, be very, very popular. Who would not want to have that movie in their library sure, yeah. in 4K? Now, I'll give you an example of how technology will improve. We did tests on The Wizard of Oz when 4K first came around, around 2015, and they were awful. Mm. Uh, Dorothy had a beard of grain that made her look <laughs> like Pluto in the Popeye card. Um and I said, oh, well, we'll never be able to do that. Well, tools came around and things changed. And I saw the tests on Wizard of Oz in 2018. And they were gorgeous. And by 2019, we did a beautiful 4K disc. Yep. So we know that these older Technicolor films can look great in 4K. If they're done right, they're going to cost a fortune. But uh Often the money can be made back. It certainly was on Oz. I think Gone with the Wind deserves it. I'd love to see it happen. I've advocated for it. I hope it will happen. And the other one I really hope happens is The Adventures of Robin Hood, which was made the year before and was one of our very first Blu-ray releases. Yep. And th that Blu-ray is 16 years old, and boy, does it look it. Mm. Um, it needs to be redone. But uh, I could give you a list of several hundred yeah. movies that I could need to read. <laughs> yeah, it's all so. about priorities, right? Yeah. Right. So what about things like uh, classic TV, and including Abbott and Costello and Lucy and uh, Gilligan's Island and stuff like that? How does that stuff get prioritized to, to go out? Well, uh, I think Lucy fans are going to be happy in, <laughs> in the not-too-distant future. Um, I would love to see the George Reeves Superman series get restored. It's a pretty tall order um, because I know that at least one episode from the first season, we only have 16-millimeter material, oh, okay. which is horrifying. Yeah. Um, and it went through a lot of different hands before it ended up with us uh so maybe we'll be able to find that episode with 35 millimeter sources but mm -hmm. i think it was supposed to happen and then it got put on the side um i, I just think it it is an absolute must uh superman is part of our ethos at this company yeah so uh i wouldn't give up hope okay. gilligan's island uh no one has really brought that up or discussed it. So I don't know if that's going to happen, mm -hmm. uh, but you never know. Gotcha. There was a DVD set of that at one point, right? Oh, yeah. yeah. Everything's been on DVD. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, uh, and I shouldn't say everything because there have been a lot of really popular series we haven't been able to put on DVD because of music clearance issues. Mm -hmm. But we've made some significant headway in that regard. So people may be seeing some DVD releases of some of those series come out that weren't able to come out before. Awesome. Awesome. So that's a little hint, hint. 
Well, Duke Togo brought up something I hadn't heard about. Apparently that there's a company called Second Sight that's doing a hitcher restoration in the UK. Do you have any ties to that? Well, when I heard that we were taking over the marketing and uh, mastering and everything else of HBO's library, the first thing I talked to my boss about was the hitcher. Uh, I said, we've got to... I said, I know you're thinking about HBO as a television company and TV movies, Mm -hmm. but they have a small group of theatrical films that have been sorely overlooked. And I was talking about films, not just The Hitcher, there's Ford Apache, The Bronx, and Ricochet, uh, Don't Tell Mom, The Babysitter's Dead. There's a lot of really interesting movies in there, as well as, of course, HBO made for movies that maybe only came out on DVD mm. that might make for a good 4K. Um, you know, there's 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 a lot of opportunity there. So meanwhile, uh, the folks in the UK who got the rights, our rights in the Hitcher are only domestic. Um, so w- we have the negative at HBO, and I haven't been privy to the latest conversations, but the goal was that if we were going to give them access to our negative, that we would get some kind of access or participation in, uh, you know, this this film, it's only been available like four by three. It's it's just an abomination. And this Mm -hmm. is such a beloved favorite yeah it's one of my favorites for sure yeah. Out. yeah yeah well you got good taste what can i tell you <laughs> hey i even uh, like the remake so that tells you something yeah i mean but this is this is just like because because to give it hbo people credit they did a phenomenal job with the things they made mm-hmm. you know doing those gorgeous sets on game of thrones sure. and all the Sopranos and all the the series that they did, and they do wonderful programming even now, you know. And God bless them, and they're they're great people. But theatrical features was not their business, so they right. didn't focus on that the way we would have. And we didn't have a seat at the table as to what came out. Now we do, so hopefully there'll be more of those to come. Um, so that's a that's a that's a positive answer. Awesome. Uh, a bunch of folks, including a Stair fan and Joel Arndt, are interested in Fred and Ginger movies. Any any possibility of those? Well, you're not going to find a bigger Fred and Ginger fan than I am. Um, that being said, uh, the films are in such tattered condition oh. um, because they were so popular and they were reissued a gazillion times. Anytime RKO needed money. It was either reissue King Kong or reissue Fred and Ginger. Um, so there's nothing happening at the moment. Uh, there is only one of the nine Fred and Ginger movies where the original negative still exists. Uh, um, the materials are really worn, but um, I think they're going to trickle out slowly. These things that require a lot of work. There were things I thought we'd never be able to do. You know, I thought, oh, we'll never be able to do a night at the opera. We'll never be able to do uh, the Thin Man because the elements mm-hmm. look like you're going to run over by a train. Well, we did the Thin Man. K 
came out gorgeous. We were able to do the whole series. Yeah. We were able to put out a night the opera. So these things are possible. So they're the classic movie fans are in for a Lollapalooza next year. <laughs> okay. uh, it's really going to be very, very exciting. And a lot of the films will be unexpected. There'll be some surprises. Oh, I love that. I'm all about you know finding classics that haven't gotten their time in the sun for sure. And I do note that Traveling Man and a couple other folks were asking for more Marx Brothers. So uh, so good news on that. Just talked about Night at the Opera and yep. how well it did, yep, how yep. great it looked. I'm a huge Marx Brothers fan. I agree with that. Yep. Uh, I got I got my start uh, watching uh, Groucho Marx. You bet your life at five thirty in the morning on Saturday mornings oh, when I was a love kid. Love that show. So yeah, yeah, yeah. So definitely. I used a to watch it at one thirty in the morning in New York. Okay. So, yeah, <laughs> and that was when I was in junior high school, so that didn't go over too well with my parents. I see. Uh, <laughs> How about uh, the present prisoner of Zenda? A couple folks asked about that. I'm, I'm not familiar with that one. Apparently, okay, there's some well, issue with the uh, 1937 prisoner yeah. of Zenda. Yeah, yeah. The elements are really bad, bad yeah. and we're still on the search for a better one. Nothing's happening with the 1952 remake yet, but it's a perfect candidate for a Technicolor restoration, like we've been doing. And I hope we will be able to do that soon. And obviously, we'd like to do both movies together. Gotcha. Gotcha. Okay, that makes more sense. That makes tons of sense. All right, the last question I have, there's a whole bunch of stuff, and we're sorry we can't get to everything, guys, but we're going on two hours here. But a lot of folks were asking about Northwest Passage in Rain Tree Country, which I guess had been reported to have issues with their elements before. Any update on either of those? Well, Northwest Passage has no issues with its, uh, the negative is fine, um, and it needs to be recombined and restored like these other Technicolor films do, just mm-hmm. hasn't been done yet. Uh, there was an interpositive made in, uh, I guess, the 90s that doesn't look very good, and it wasn't made very well, and that's why when you see it now, it's standard definition only, and it's muddy and ugly, and hopefully we can make it look beautiful. Um, and that that's thats not, uh, uh, as Orson Welles once said, a wearying one indeed. That is not. <laughs> Rain Tree County, on the other hand. County, is, yeah, county, not country, sorry. Yes, that is the quintessential opposite yeah. of uh, fairly straightforward. It is... A nightmare of complexity. I went into, uh, I'm not going to take up more time on your podcast uh, (laughs) going into the details of it because it's like a 15, 20 minute explanation. Yeah. But I would encourage people to go to the extras.tv and look for the Warner Archive August mailbag. Yeah. I just, I went into explicit detail. Yeah. On all the problems, the fact that the negative was cut, that the negative is terribly faded, uh, that the separations were cut, and they're in a different aspect ratio than the purple release prints that we have of the long version. It's just a mess. Mm. And um, it's going to take a lot of time and a lot of money to put something together that at best will still be imperfect. Gotcha. Uh, so uh, it's something that 
both myself and the gentleman who is our director of preservation, who's also been a dear friend and a good colleague of mine for a very long time. We're both dedicated to getting it done and we've been trying like hell. Um, but it, we need to also have a little bit more of a stable uh, company environment and all indications are we're getting there. So um, there's hope, but I don't want to give up false hope. It may be several years away. So uh, it's just something we're obviously aware of and it's not easy. And um, I will just leave it at that without further editorialization. Yep. And, and I've already linked to the, the, the August mailbag in the, 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 the call for questions. And we will certainly put that in uh, the show notes uh, for, for this podcast, which should be up later tonight. Uh, this, this was a terrific conversation. You've been extremely generous with your time, extremely generous with your honesty and forthrightness. And I, I hope, uh, I hope that all of your corporate overlords uh, take it in the, uh, the, the, the positive way that it was, that it was uh, presented. And I hope that you guys have nothing but the best going into 2023 for your hundredth anniversary. This well, is a, thank you. This was a On great behalf of everyone here. There's a lot of people that do other things in addition to uh, helping Warner Archive be what it is. But there are an awful lot of people that make it happen and it couldn't happen without them. Mm-hmm. So uh, if I were wearing a hat, I'd take my hat off. Oh, to them, thank but you. I'm not wearing a hat. So <laughs> well, you, you're. Can you're I tell you? Your your passion and reverence for the history comes through, and I, I think that if every merger started with that, rather than you know the 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 idea that things were going to be you know optimized and exploited and stuff like that, they would have worked out so much better than many of them have. So I I I appreciate that, and I know all the members of Home Theater Forum do, and we look forward to sometime seeing you out there in Hollywood in the future. I hope so, and. Uh... Thank you for the plug for the library because the greatest gift our owners could learn about and um, savor is, I will quote Martin Scorsese, uh, who was in a documentary about film preservation. Yep. You take care of your library and it will take care of you. That's. Um, there are so many bounties and gifts in these thousands of films that can only add to the corporate coffers if the films are treated right. And that's why preservation everywhere is so important. So support your local preservation people. Well, <laughs> and, and support all the studios, too, because you guys have had a raw, a raw couple of years. So we're, we're all pulling for you, and we're pulling for the movie theaters, and we're pulling for physical media. We, we, we know where our bread's buttered, and we're trying to make sure that you guys can all survive and thrive. Well, thank you, Sam. It's much appreciated. Yep. Thanks for your time, George, and we'll talk to you next time. We're I look forward to it. All right. 